And the most terrifying question of all may be just how much horror the human mind can stand and still maintain a wakeful, staring, unrelenting sanity. Stephen King, Pet Cemetery. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously dark world of horror fiction. This is Stephanie. And I'm Devin. Today we're continuing our look at the year to come, discussing some adaptations we expect to see released in 2019. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening. All right, so I know I had this talk with Rachel last year, but where do you stand on adaptations? Um, That's a very good question. Adaptations, they're, they're interesting. Uh, you're taking a story from one medium to another, whether it's book to movie, movie to book, um, game to movie, you know, so on and so forth. Podcast to show. Podcast to television show. Like, <laughs> exactly. Even though you're telling the same story, because one's a visual medium, one could be uh, text, one can be auditory, um, you end up with distinctly different products. And just looking at the differences, what makes them great, what makes them not so great, it can be a fascinating dive into the, especially the horror genre, mm-hmm. where senses really play a big part in the experience. Um, some books would be horrible movies, even though they're amazing books. Can you think of any? Um, <laughs> like, there are definitely books that I read, and I'm like, this is unadaptable. <laughs> I still haven't watched it yet, so I'm not going to comment on whether they did it or not, but Bird Box is one that I upon looking at the content of the book, didn't think it would make a great um, adaptation because it's really it lacks the, the visual component. Like the, by, by nature of the story, we have a world where the characters keep themselves blinded at all times, basically. So to put that into a visual medium seems kind of tricky to me. So I'm hesitant about looking at that movie, although everyone has said that it's been fantastic. I've heard of mixed reviews, but <laughs> go on. Well, there you go. Um, yeah. that's an idea, like an example of the kind of idea I'm thinking of when I say that mm-hmm. I think some premises work better in different, in different mediums. Yeah, definitely. Like I think House of Leaves is unadaptable. Oh God. Yeah. That'd be too crazy. And I think if I, if I had it my way, I would want like a shot for shot, like the way the Navidson record is described as, you know, like a shot for shot, like the camera looks at this and then this happens and she does this. Like I would want that in the screenplay basically (laughs) right and i mean that brings to another issue when it comes to adaptations of how important do you think it is that an adaptation stays faithful to the source material or is it okay to take some liberties for the sake of the the new form that it's in i would say i'm okay with the need to take liberties 
I mean, I'm definitely not a, a purist in that sense, in that like things 100% need to be 100% faithful to how they were in the books. There's a lot of things that were improved upon adaptation, like uh, the ending of the Mist yep. movie. I think sometimes it's okay to take liberties, and sometimes it turns out to be better or just different, and it adds a different something. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Another example of changing a story for the sake of the medium and why adaptations can be so powerful is The Shining. I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> you can't do an adaptation episode without talking about The Shining. Yeah. It's King King hated Kubrick's vision for what The Shining movie was, even though it's hailed as a, a cinematic masterpiece. They are incredibly different, but they still keep the same tone. They keep the same kind of overall vision for what the story was which is why i say it was a great adaptation even though it wasn't faithful to the source material if you want to see the contrast of that just look at the miniseries of the shining that king did later that he had a lot of say in that is almost a hundred percent to the source material and it's laughably bad i'm sorry for anybody involved in that oh my series. god yeah like i'm sorry tony being like a floating man in khakis just was not my favorite yeah like Danny talking to his finger was so much more sinister <laughs> and doing like that voice. <laughs> exactly. And like like I said, it's because of the medium that it's in. The way King told his story within the novel, it fit perfect in that he could be a little more over the top because it was up to the reader to envision it and you know, you have less limitations that way. When Kubrick took the movie, it became a lot more subtle and more like visually uncertain so like if you watch the shining kubrick's version there is an argument that can be made that there was nothing supernatural happening at all except for the last shot yes 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 but i mean for the for the most part it, you don't know if it was justin jack torrance's head or if it's not in the miniseries slash novel you see things moving around out of the way like you know for sure that it's supernatural Oh, and I don't know if you're like me, but I've noticed that I usually prefer whatever I was exposed to first, if that makes sense. Like if I see the movie before I read the book, I find that usually if I watch the movie before I read the book, I usually end up liking them both. But most of the time when I read the book and then watch the adaptation, I'm a little more skeptical of it or I'm a little more critical of it. Well, to be fair, I think us as human beings have that mentality of what you're exposed to first is going to be the superior product. It would make it makes sense to me that if you watch the movie first, you can enjoy them both better because the movie is always going to be a condensed form of the novel. Mm -hmm. With the movie, you watch the movie, but then you go to the book and then it's all expanded upon. Things are different, of course, but there's so much more there. So you have a better opportunity to to enjoy both if you go with the movie first. So do you get excited when you get like alerted that something you love is getting an adaptation or that like a production company has taken interest in a book you like? Like, do you keep up with any of that? I used to. I used to do that a lot. But again, things like the Hellraiser remake, the Crow remake, like there's so many things being optioned and being produced and then dropped and then optioned again and... I've gotten burned so much that I've become jaded to keeping up with a lot of this. So most of the stuff we're talking about, I would say all of the things we are talking about today are greenlit, like they're on the way. <laughs> you know, like they have casting, they've, they're past the development stage. So no need to worry about anything we mentioned today. For the most part. <laughs> For the most part. Until it's actually on the screen, you there is always a hint of, of worry. That's true. 
Yeah, I know that happened to me a few times where I would get really excited and then like I would never hear about it again and I couldn't find anything. I'm like, well, did it get dropped? Did it just not get past development? What happened? Yeah. They never announced when it was like, oh, we, uh, yeah, we just didn't bother with it. We just let the option run out and then let someone else buy it. So are there certain things that get you excited about adaptation announcements? Um, well, that's 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 the thing. I, I try not to follow them because I get excited about the adaptation announcements. Okay, how about when it gets further along <laughs> and it's more cemented, like this is going to happen? It's always interesting to, to wonder what is going to be done with the adaptation, especially when like leaks come out of like people on set. In terms of excitement for adaptations, most times I'll go into an adaptation again with with weariness because we, we come from a climate where there's so many remakes, so many adaptations, and so many different people trying to tell the same story that they have great ideas, but when they try to implement them, it just doesn't work with the story. I'm always interested to see how involved the author is going to be, or at least that the author is like also pushing this forward like how much they're sharing things about it on social media that like makes me a little more excited like okay well like the author was there and like I'm guessing they maybe got to take a look at stuff enough and like they're promoting it that for me makes me a little more confident and I mean I also just get excited about casting to see like you know who I have imagined for this role and looking at like who they picked and kind of trying to imagine what they would be like in that role yeah <laughs> I think we're very different on that. I think we are. Like, again, I think I, I think I approach adaptations uh, definitely more pessimistic than you do. Um, I enjoy them though. That's what I mean. When an adaptation really hits it out of the park, I I will go crazy for it. It's just I think I'm a little harder to please when it comes to the development and like the lead up to its actual completion. I think I entered that with more pessimism than mm-hmm. probably some other people do. Well, I was. I know we talked about this before, but I was really worried about the haunting of Hill House and that because I saw that it was going to be completely different and not really faithful to the book at all. And then I ended up loving the direction. it went. Yeah. I remember asking you about that when you mentioned it in your chilling obsessions that, so is this a in name only kind of adaptation or is it like, like, is it, they put haunting of Hill house name on just a generic haunting story and just sprinkle in some references or it does it actually feel like it's a new updated version of haunting of hill house and yeah you said it stuck really close with like say the the proper like atmosphere and tone and the the the, themes and stuff for sure yeah the the intangibles about it were the same Mm -hmm. all right so how about you steph have you seen any recent adaptations that have been noteworthy anything caught your eye yeah so i actually just finished uh the show you on Netflix based on the novel by Carolyn Kepnes, and I was really impressed. I really enjoyed it. I remember seeing stuff about this when it came out, and when they said that Penn Badgley was cast as Joe, I thought it was a really good fit, mostly because he played, a, I think, a very similar role on Gossip Girl. Like, you know, it's Penn Badgley in New York seeing a really hot blonde girl and like trying to wedge his way into her life is basically like also gossip girl so i was like yeah i can see that that's not like much of a stretch for me in a way that i was excited about and he does that like you know with joe there's not like a fine line but i mean from beck's point of view there is a fine line between like oh this is really cute and oh this is really creepy you're actually like a sociopath The big thing about you was that it was written in second person. And so a lot of the scenes have his voiceover and like what he's thinking and like the stuff he is saying to Beck in his head and the narration. I just thought it was done really well. Um, yeah, exactly. That's that is what made the novel 
um, stand out amongst the shelf of other other regular thrillers and such is that it was the second person narration. Um, there's, I know a lot of people that have read it and said this is like the creepiest and eeriest book they've read. Um, and it's because of that second person narration. It's like he's talking to you as you're reading it. It's a great vehicle for the story. So I'm glad to hear that it translated well to the screen. Yeah, and uh, like another big part of it, you know, is how much of... Beck's life is online and in social media so I thought they really did well with you know like him walking and like the side by side where you would see like the text messages you know like they they do in Sherlock on BBC yeah and like the the thing on like the social media scrolls where he's like checking out her Instagram and like going through her emails and I just thought all of that was done pretty well because that's another like really important part of the book is like how he sees her having a public profile online meaning that she's like more accessible or thinking that like he knows her because of it and that that's a real scare for us people yeah like, definitely <laughs> people that just avoid facebook and twitter specifically for that reason how about you have you seen any good adaptations recently immediately what comes to mind the most recent adaptation i can think of other than like say gerald's game or like bigger ones that we already know about mm-hmm. would be the i am not a serial killer adaptation when was that done was that recent that was 2000, I want to say 17, 2016. Oh, okay. uh, it was like a film festival movie that then just got wider release. Um, I know you liked those books. I've only read I Am Not a Serial Killer. I didn't oh, read really? Mr. Monster or go on from the series from there. But I did like I Am Not a Serial Killer, yeah. This one is, the kid's name is John Cleaver, and he's obsessed with serial killers. It's at a point where like he kind of fears he's be- going to become one later in life. So he sets up these rules that he has to follow to keep himself kind of on the straight and narrow. The book takes a really drastic turn halfway through. It goes, I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but it, it goes more of a paranormal route. The adaptation came in 2016. It was um, a lower budget one. It has Christopher Lloyd playing Bill Crowley, who's his, uh, John Cleaver's neighbor, one of the main characters. Um, and between him and I think Max Records played John Cleaver, they had such great chemistry and they really brought the characters almost exactly as I envisioned them when I was listening to the audio. That's awesome. So yeah, it's it's a really solid adaptation. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the upcoming releases. So first up is The Visible Filth by Nathan Ballingrude. This is a short story. I saw that the movie is going to be titled Wounds. This follows a New Orleans bartender who begins to experience bizarre things when he brings a cell phone home that was left in his bar after a fight. There's a lot of stuff going on. He has like a crush on a girl who's been going to the bar for a while. It's like I said, a short story. It's around 60 pages. I read this at night when I couldn't fall asleep. Like I just took my phone out and and read this story and I was extremely creeped out and suddenly very aware that I was, you know, it was the middle of the night and I was in a pitch black room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I loved this story and it is like legitimately creepy. Like it's a short story, so I really can't get into why. But just go read it. <laughs> okay. I will do that, ma'am. <laughs> well, especially if it's just a short story. Yeah. So it's not even—it's not that much of a time commitment. And so for casting, they have cast Army Hammer and Dakota Johnson to be in this. And I'm guessing Dakota Johnson is the girl he has a crush on. Um, in the story, he does have like a, a girlfriend that he lives with. 
So I'm not sure where that's going to go. As soon as I finished reading this story, I bought the author's short story collection, North American Lake Monsters, because I was that impressed with it. All right. So next up is uh, the title You Should Have Left by Daniel Kelman. Uh, this is based on the German novella of the same name. And it is about a screenwriter who travels to a remote house in the Alps with his family so that he can write the sequel to his big hit film. But he begins to regret his decision after suffering from a severe case of writer's block. So I actually picked this book up from the library a few weeks ago completely on a whim and had no idea about this because one of my New Year's resolutions was to read more horror in translation. And so I put this on hold and I picked it up and I read it. It's a very short book. And then I saw this, that it's going to get adapted. So it was it was really crazy. Um, I will say it's a little different. It's told completely in journal entries from the perspective of the writer. And there's like and there's like a lot of paranoia. And he starts to like lose sense with reality. And like, you don't know what's real and what isn't and like what he's imagining. And it's like very claustrophobic. And it's got like kind of a house of leaves sensibility. So I'm really interested to see how that translates to film. I have been successfully talked into reading a YA contemporary because someone told me it was epistolary. That's how much I like epistolary. There's a lot I like about it. Uh, If you read it, it has, I know I describe a lot of books that way, but when you start reading it, there's like a sense that something is off and everything just feels kind of off kilter. Like there are scenes that are usually in stories like this like the going into town and going into like the one general store with like the creepy person that works there and it's got that sense of foreboding but there's like something just a little different and then of course it's in the book it's he his wife and his daughter and there's like weird underlying tensions in the relationships and I just thought it was really well done you know, in under 150 pages to have all that tension and to have all of this stuff introduced. Okay. And I will say, I love the cover of this. It's kind of like a, a minimalist black cover with a, like a mountaintop, but it's like even the geometry within the triangle is a little off. It's like an open-ended triangle. It's just really good. Are we really going back into Devin Googling book covers on the show? (laughs) Devin Googles things. (laughs) Cue the theme. (laughs) Actually, I googled it beforehand this time. It does look pretty cool. I like that. So yeah, it's a a standard paint-by-numbers premise of the writer going on a retreat because writer's block. But it goes back to what I said earlier of how you could take one idea and spin it thousands of different ways and make your own story. So this sounds like it is still going to be a good story to read. Um, And then if you look at this adaptation, it's on through Blumhouse. Blumhouse is probably one of the most um, highly reputed uh, production houses when it comes to horror right now at mm-hmm. least in my opinion yeah. and it's going to have Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried mm-hmm. um, I had to look her up but <gasps> are you kidding me? I'm not kidding Amanda Seyfried of Mean Girls Les Mis and Mamma <laughs> Mia fame yes because those are three movies you know I adore <laughs> and I know it's the so Kevin Bacon and the director are teaming up again since Stir of Echoes which was another horror adaptation which was an amazing movie absolutely amazing movie i really liked it very different from the book i haven't read the book i only found out like a month ago it was an adaptation i didn't know there was a book (laughs) but stir of echoes was one of my favorite movies um early into my horror journey all right are we ready to talk about one of the biggies now we're entering the king category of adaptations all right so uh, a buzzy remake 
guys, Pet Cemetery is coming out in April, April 5th. So if you don't know, this is the story of Lewis Creed, who moves his family of four to a rural home with a secret in the forest. This is, of course, a remake of the 1989 movie, and this movie is going to be starring Jason Clarke, John Lithgow, and Amy Simons. So this is a book actually both of us have read, so we can actually talk about it. And we've both seen the original, so we can actually have like a discussion. Um, now, first thing I'm going to ask, if you know, is it a remake of the movie or is it a, another adaptation of the book? I'm not sure. I haven't like... I can't tell by the trailer. Didn't, yeah. Like the trailer makes me feel like it's a complete reimagining of just a story in general. Like what makes you say that? There's parts in the trailer that I feel like didn't fit with the book or the movie. What do you think of John Lithgow casting? John Lithgow, I will watch in anything. The Trinity Killer. Yes. <laughs> I will watch John Lithgow in anything. I like John Lithgow since Third Rock from the Sun, Footloose. Yes, obviously Dexter. What else was he in? He was in a lot of stuff. But yeah, I, I am a big John Lithgow fan. Having John Lithgow play Judd is just so spot on. I cannot wait to see the job he does with that. So where does Pet Cemetery rank in Stephen King books for you? He's in the red pile, because the unread pile is actually larger than I'd like to admit. Wow. How did we get these jobs? <laughs> I'm, I'm a slow reader, and King a lot of times is really dense, so yeah. it was difficult for me to get through a lot of the time, even when I enjoy it. Pet Cemetery, I would put it below it, below Shining. I think Pet Cemetery fits on like the low end of the well-known Stephen King titles, but on the high end of the ones that don't get a lot of attention. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh I guess I don't consider it underrated because it has like a very popular adaptation, I feel like. So I don't consider it like a like a Lisey story or anything. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. It's, it's on the low end of the well-known ones. Because, I mean, when you think of Stephen King, when an average person thinks of Stephen King, you'll hear It. You'll hear... Um, Shining, uh, Misery. Carrie, The Shining, Misery. Like, there's so many, like, classic movies that will come to mind before Pet Cemetery, But Pet Cemetery is usually somewhere on the list eventually. Yeah. I really loved this book. I... Wasn't sure what I was going to think of it going in. I was also really hesitant to read it because I am a parent of a small child. And as a parent of a small child, you are just always worried that they're going to die. That could also just be the Enneagram 6 in me. <laughs> just worry about everything all the time. Um, but I just, I thought it was very well done. It was haunting. I mean, it definitely plays with those parental fears, but I thought in a way that was palatable that I didn't feel like completely sick to my stomach. There's like the right amount of separation from the incident. There's kind of like a lead up and then like a, an after and just the depth of grief. And we talked about this. I know the complete change in the approach to death and the two main characters I thought was yeah. very well done. The asymmetry between the, yes. Uh, the between Lewis and Rachel. Thank you. Between yeah. Lewis and Rachel. Where you start off, one starts off on one extreme and the other one's on the other. And they kind of literally change places as the story goes through. Um, and it, it flows really, well, it's really fluid in the way it does it too. It's, it's natural. So yeah, it, it's Pet Cemetery for its cheesiness and kind of, you know, odd premise shows how great of a storyteller Stephen King is. And I will say, one of my favorite endings. Oh, God, yes. Stephen King is trash at endings. I am sorry, King. 
Stephen okay. King endings are not great. Usually the adaptations will provide better endings, but this one actually had a really good one. I enjoyed it. Okay, Stephen King fans, you can direct all hate mail towards Devin. He will be at Indie Insomnia. You can find him on Twitter <laughs> at Insomnia Reads. <laughs> I'm just going to forward my email so that's what she read. Rude. I don't know who said this, but I, I know I saw this on, I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter, but I've heard people say that this is the Stephen King book for like non-Stephen King fans. Like it has some of the most mass appeal. Yeah, I can get behind that. So yeah, I will say if you haven't read it, definitely worth checking out. Even if you're not usually a fan of Stephen King, I will say A+. plus. The next one of the Stephen King section is In the Tall Grass by Stephen King. Um, This I don't know much about. It's based on a short story. It's going to have James Marsden and Patrick Wilson. So I am always here for James Marsden. So keep going. (laughs) Without getting into the synopsis, the fact that Patrick Wilson is in it has me excited because he hasn't done a horror movie in the last like 10 years that I didn't like. So In the Tall Grass is about after hearing a young boy's cry for help, a sister and brother venture into a vast field of grass in Kansas, but soon discover there may be no way out. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) again, it sounds like a very basic premise, but with King's reputation of a storyteller with that cast, I'm, I'm optimistic. Oh, definitely. Which, I think King works best in short stories. I will agree with that. One of his best adaptations, which I don't think gets to- talked about enough, is 1408. That with... Um... John Cusack. Yeah. That story was just a mind bender and then watching the adaptation and what they did with it to expand upon that was that was terrific in in short story form i think he's at his best moving on to the complete opposite of a short story by stephen king we're talking about it chapter two so this is going to be coming out september 6th this is obviously the second part it's chapter two but where we follow the adult modern timeline of the losers club as they're drawn back to the evil in dairy 20 years later they did say there will be flashbacks to the younger cast so it won't just be all of the adult losers clubs we we still will get that flashbacks to like sophia lillis and finn wolfhard playing their part as children um which is really interesting it's very different from how it's set up in the book where we just kind of go back and forth every chapter so much that like at the end like sentences get started in one timeline and then you flip the page and it's like finished with like a different meaning in like the modern timeline or like the 80s timeline which was something I really liked um but I'm excited about the cast they cast Bill Hader as Richie and James McAvoy as Bill Jessica Chastain as Beverly James Ransone as Eddie who I knew from The Wire as Ziggy Zabotka and it's just really good I was really impressed if you look online and you see the side by side with the younger cast and the older adult cast I thought they did a fantastic job I would say the one that probably doesn't look as much as Bill Hader but I think he can kind of bring the same energy yeah like I said I'm optimistic about what it's going to be and the thing is this is a good example of what we talked about earlier about how taking the adaptation doesn't need to be a straight just take the book and make a script out of it because with it as you said it alternate a chapter to chapter we didn't get like the kids and then the climax of that story and then they go back 20 years later and they got that mm-hmm. both of those were happening simultaneously in the book it was in the the last third of the book we're literally paragraph by paragraph swapping back and forth from the kids to the adults and the, the tension it was ramps up yeah the tension was it was insane what they did with this new movie adaptation taking the kid section pulling it out making its its own narrative and its own movie and now putting the adults uh, with probably just peppering in some some flashbacks. It's going to make for an entirely different way to consume the story, which 
again, if you're an adaptation purist, oh, this is not how it was in the book, so it's horrible, you're going to be missing out on it. The first one was really well done. I'd imagine the second one is going to be just as well done. Yeah, and I think we're still going to get some of that back and forth. We'll see how they do it. Up next, we're going to look at some miniseries and television shows. First up is an author that we spoke about before on the show. Uh, this is October Factions by Steve Niles. Mr. 30 Days of Night, I believe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, October Factions is uh, coming out as a Netflix uh, television show. It follows the adventures of a retired monster hunter and his family which includes a thrill killer, a witch, and a warlock. People describe it as a mix of the Addams Family and Supernatural, and you can currently get it for $1.99 on Kindle. Which is what I did. And how was it? No, like I literally bought it right before we recorded this, so I will get back to you on that. Okay. <laughs> as soon as I saw the description, Addams Family meets Supernatural, I was like, I think I might need this right now in my eyeballs. Have you looked at the artwork yet? Yeah, it's a little... It's still... Like that very messy kind of artwork, but I would say the palette is a little lighter than it was in 30 Days of Night to where it's a little more discernible. Uh, okay. And I am willing to give him another chance. Okay, I see. Yeah, it's, it's clearer. Yes, it's a lot clearer. I think I was just very frustrated in 30 Days of Night because it was just different shades of black in a panel. <laughs> and I was like, am I going blind i can't i can't see what is happening it's it's definitively niles style but it's yeah. m more clear without the haze and the fog kind of okay mm -hmm. so i am very open to it i by no means i'm like a steve niles hater i just didn't get along with 30 days of night which makes sense the artwork actually does look pretty cool if you guys have read it or if you're going to read it uh, reach out to us let us know what you thought yeah all you october factions fans get at us <laughs> we have a goodreads get on there let us know what you thought of it yeah. All right. Next up is an adaptation I am very excited about that is finally <laughs> going to be coming to HBO. I know I talked about it last year, but it is like more definitively in the works. Like it is coming out this year. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, is Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. I'm sorry. Was that a doubting? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Always have doubt with those uh, adaptations. So this is going to be coming to HBO and... The book follows a young African-American man traveling across the U.S. in the 1950s in search of his missing father. As I've mentioned before, and if you've read the book, you know that it's kind of a short story collection. They're interconnected short stories. So that is the plot of the first story. There's a couple different stories in there. And I'm wondering, you know, with the episodic breakdown of a TV show, if they're going to get into the different stories or if that's... Because in the book, that is kind of the overarching theme, but we do kind of get to like different characters and what they're going through. The main character is like a really big fan of like H.P. Lovecraft and kind of like pulpy sci-fi horror novels of like of the day. And he gets a lot of flack from his dad for them being very racist. And he feels very torn about being a fan of these kinds of stories, but also like not feeling you know, like he's being represented and that he's actually kind of like the antagonist in these stories. And so a lot of this is a nod to like Lovecraftian type stories. And I think every chapter deals with like a, a different kind of story and adding in issues about race. And what I liked is that sometimes in the stories, there's like the supernatural horror, but there's also like the real life horror of, you know, being a black person in this time. And I remember yeah. reading the story and some of the scenes that were most horrifying to me were, you know, like in the first chapter, him getting pulled over 
and going across state lines in this time and just, oh, the tension that was there. I was at work like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Get out of there. Get out of there. <laughs> 1950s, that was, uh, that was Jim Crow, wasn't it? Yes. And yeah. so like there was um, in the book, like his uncle wrote the safe safe travel guide for african-american people and like where to go and where not to be after sundown nice and so it's just all these rules he has to follow and if you cross state lines they can do this to you and they can do that to you and this is fair game here and there and just all of these hoops you have to go through it's horrifying and there's even like a haunted house story and a lot of other things it was just i loved this (laughs) it sounds like it's again it's it's a nice blend of like horror Mm -hmm. but then the horror of a lot of this like social stuff actually it's not fiction which makes it even more horrifying yeah but in a place where like side by side with like actual supernatural stuff and it just it was it was played out very well so we might be getting a, a too big well is twilight zone coming out in 2019 oh that's a good question i'm not sure because jordan peele has this he also has us it looks really creepy but i will say if you're the kind of person that likes to go into something completely unspoiled or like completely without having any context, don't watch the trailer because it might give away too much. But it looks really good. I'm really excited for that. Evidently, um, based on a quick Google search, the Twilight Zone revival, uh, it does say it's slated for 2019. Okay, so big year for Jordan Peele. Next is V Wars by Jonathan Mayberry, another Netflix adaptation. V Wars follows the story of Dr. Luther Swan, who enters a world of horror when a virus is released by the ice melting due to climate change. The disease transforms his best friend, Michael Fane, into a murderous predator who feeds on human brains when he has the hunger. As the disease spreads and more people are transformed, society fractures into camps, putting normal people against a growing number of these zombies. Swan and his wife, Nikki, races against time to understand what's happening while Fane rises to become the powerful underground leader of the zombies. Sounds intense. There, there's all kinds of uh, stories that they're talking about, like, you know, zombie wars and, and such like this. That, that's that's a, almost a genre in and of itself. But this one sounds like it's not just mindless, oh, it's a horde of zombies and they're coming after us. This sounds like they're sentient, which is not done a whole lot. Yeah. So, yeah, this is an interesting take. The adaptation is going to be starring Ian Somerhalder. From Vampire Diaries fame, or as I know him, from season one of Lost. <laughs> Uh, the audiobook is available now on Hoopla if you were interested in reading or listening to the story. And if your library has Hoopla. Yeah, if your library has Hoopla, because I keep forgetting what Hoopla is. And then an adaptation I know Rachel and I were very excited about that finally has a premiere date and finally had some pictures come out. So it's getting real. I was going to say, like father, like son, we had a Stephen King section and now we get a Joe Hill section. (laughs) All right. So Nosferatu by Joe Hill looks like this is going to be premiering April 30th on AMC. And this is about a girl named Vic McQueen, she discovers that her bike has the power to unlock portals that help her find lost objects. And she runs into the villain of the story, Charlie Manx. Uh, But she is one of the only people who is able to get away from him. And then we fast forward to Vic as an adult and Charlie Manx has come for her son. And so Vic must find a way to get back into those portals. This is one of my favorite stories so far. My favorite Joe Hill novel. And guys, I am beyond stoked. 
for this adaptation. So it looks like Australian actress Ashley Cummings from Hounds of Love is cast as Vic McQueen and Pittsburgh native Zachary Quinto is Charlie Manx. I know Joe Hill tweeted some photos and there have been some photos of him as Charlie Manx and it looks really good. I'm really excited. Zachary Quinto will always be the villain from Heroes for me. <laughs> I was going to say Zachary Quinto, the villain from Heroes. You know, Also Spock in the new Star Trek movies. Yep. Uh, he was the villain in the second Hitman movie. No, national hero Zachary Quinto. <laughs> I really hope it opens up with a nurse literally getting a bag of hot blood for Charlie Mace. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things where it's a really solid, solid book that hopefully will be a really great adaptation. Filmed in Providence, Rhode Island. Nice. That makes, that's fitting. Would be more fitting for our next one. It would. Our next one which is Lock and Key by Joe Hill. This is a Netflix series adaptation based on the graphic novel series of the same name, which takes place in Lovecraft, Massachusetts, which, as a story I shared before, was a very misleading when I thought it was going to be a Lovecraft story when I bought this first volume. But I'm happy about it because it's a really solid story. After the murder of their father, the Locke children return to their ancestral home in New England only to discover they are surrounded by magic only they can see and are left to fight the unnatural horrors that are abound in Lovecraft, Massachusetts. It's difficult to talk about this story because it's, like I said, it's so surreal. Mm-hmm. It, it, the The surreality of it gets normalized so fast and it's like they just accept the things that are happening, especially in the early ones when they... Uh, well, it's called Lock and Key, so the fact that there's keys is not a spoiler. But when they start getting the keys and finding what they do and such, it's like... It's it's amazing how fast that becomes like a standard thing that they accept, and then more stuff starts happening. Well, I think it makes sense because it's Bode. That's like the first one that figures things out. And I think when you're a kid, you're more like open to like, oh yeah, this is just... This is fine. <laughs> I actually have a Lock and Key card game that we play. It's great. But yeah, so the pilot was originally shot for Hulu, uh, but they decided to pass on it, and then it was picked up by Netflix. Jackson Robert Scott, who played Georgie Denbro in 2017's It, is going to be playing Bode in the new series. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> but also can be kind of creepy, so... I like it. And filming location for this, Nova Scotia. What? I did not know that. Oh, that's so close. My question is, and maybe it's information that's readily available that you might know, is are they taking season one doing book one, or is it one season and they're going to try and do the whole story? I'm mm, not sure. Because I'm, I'm curious how far they're going to get into it with like at least the initial season, if there is going to be multiple seasons. Because like I said, the story goes off the rails, near, especially near the end. Looks like eight episodes. Eight episodes? So... Mm-hmm. I hope they're doing season by season. Maybe like season one is like books one and two or something like that and not trying to stuff the whole thing because I don't think you can do the proper lock and key story in just eight episodes. Yeah. But mm-hmm. either way, it's exciting. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have more information on that as it unfolds. But that's one to keep a lookout for. <laughs> All right, so time for Chilling Obsessions. Uh, so the one I'm going to talk about is not really horror. It's a kind of mystery thriller. Um, it's Homecoming, and it's a show on Amazon Prime that was based on an audio drama podcast of the same name from Gimlet. They recast the roles of the main characters that were originally in the podcast. So in the podcast, the main people were Catherine Keener, who you may know as... Uh, Allison Williams' mother in Get Out, uh, David Schwimmer, and Oscar Isaac were kind of like the three main people. I I really liked the podcast. Um, So the TV show 
recasted it and originally I I had mixed feelings about it so they recast Catherine Keener's uh, role and they gave it to Julia Roberts David Schwimmer went to Bobby Cannavale and Oscar Isaac's role went to Stefan James uh, but I think all of the characters have such great chemistry in in really both in the podcast and in the the TV show that I was I was fine with it once I started it like I said I was weary and I had my like issues with it like we talked about this whole episode adaptations and the changes they make so this is about a woman named Heidi who works at the homecoming initiative which is a facility helping soldiers transition to civilian life it's a few years later she's started a new life but when she gets questioned by the department of defense she realizes there's a whole other study behind what she thought she was doing so this is really good there's a whole lot of like paranoia and conspiracy and like figuring out what the truth is i will say also devin lip from <laughs> shameless plays a uh a decent sized role in the show oh, man. adaptation on Amazon Prime. What did you think of Lip in the last season of Shameless? I only watched the first season, <laughs> first two seasons, and I gave up on it. Don't give me that crap right now. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're a big Shameless fan. I am shameless about my fandom of Shameless. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a solid cast they have. What, the podcast or the show? Yeah, well, both. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I really liked the podcast. I will say the only thing is I'm not a huge fan of David Schwimmer's voice. And it is a lot of David Schwimmer voice in your ears. Like a lot of that <laughs> nasally whininess, like cranked up to 11. I will say it's a little slower of a burn than things I would usually recommend. I watch it because I really like the cinematography. I think it's just a really nice looking show with like a touch of darkness and like a little bit of like a sinister energy not i would not say not enough sinister energy to put it in horror i would say it's it's firmly in like the the mystery thriller camp and i mean that's horror adjacent yeah that's that is homecoming you can watch it on amazon prime you can listen to the podcast it's still available from the gimlet network i think it's eight or nine episodes and it's an audio drama it's all scripted it's like recorded like therapy sessions and phone calls and stuff it's very interesting and it's very, obviously, the production value is very high with all these big names. All right. How about you, Devin? What's your chilling obsession? My chilling obsession is because this is an adaptation episode, I would be remiss not to go with an adaptation. So this is going to be a series on Netflix, and it is called Castlevania because that show is absolutely insane. Uh, the second season just dropped. Uh, the first season only has four episodes. The second has eight. You could literally binge the whole series in a day. And it is based on the video game franchise of the same name. Uh, Castlevania follows the Belmont family. They're vampire hunters. Uh, Dracula is the main antagonist for the franchise. The Netflix show takes place in this town where the Belmonts have kind of falling out of favor the last surviving belmont trevor belmont is there and the town is under siege by like demons and the minions of dracula because the people put his wife to death burned her at stake for being a witch dracula was already kind of like moving on and she was humanizing him um and you know getting him to stop being so evil kind of thing but then they murdered her as a witch so now he's unleashing his fury upon the town and it's belmont in there kind of combating them so yeah like i said this is this is an adaptation from the the game series and the animation the storytelling the characters everything about it is spot on even if you're not a fan of the video game you don't need to be a fan of the video game to enjoy this it's just 
take it as a good, really well done narrative about this war between humans and and Dracula. Like I said, it comes from the world of the original Nintendo back in 84. I think the first game was in 89. And, and it's a franchise still going today. But it's such a good story. We are about a week and a half away from starting Mongrels for the Books in the Freezer book club. Are you excited for that yet? Or have you started yet? I am not a cheater. <laughs> um, I am really excited. I have my copy. I cannot wait to dive in. This is a book I've been wanting to read for a long time. And it sounds like a lot of people are going to be joining us from what I've seen on the Goodreads group and on Instagram. So I'm hoping this will be a good experience and a good kickoff for the book club. From what I can tell, there's already people talking about mongrels in the group, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of posts in there already. So people are already talking. That's good. Glad to see it. Yeah, I don't have my copy yet, but I will have it before the first, and we'll we'll get more into that. So, like I said, look us up, uh, books in the freezer on Goodreads. You find the group there. Talk about the book club. Talk about anything we mention on this episode. Uh, that's the place to reach us. So, books in the freezer is a biweekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at books freezer pod or on Instagram at books in the freezer. You can send us an email at books in the freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes will be at booksinthefreezer.com. We are on Patreon as books in the freezer, and we want to take a moment to give a special thank you to our patrons. Laura, Liz, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Jason, Whitney, Brad, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, Christopher, Mark, Tracy, Audrey, Jamie, Julia, David, Agatha, Rachel, Kevin, Lisa, Mac, and PT. And if you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher. It really helps people find us. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's That's with two A's. Or on YouTube as That's What She Read. You can find me on Twitter at InsomniReads. And YouTube, just search the Indie Insomniac. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Thank you.